0: Um, Luke chapter 10, it's our next meal with Jesus, with Mary and Martha. Luke chapter 10 from verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, "Lord, don't you care about my sis that don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me." Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, "You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and what is not to be taken away from her."
1: Thanks Ross morning, everyone. My name is Ben, if we haven't met before. Um, before we get into this this morning, I do just want to reiterate with Alpha. That's coming up on Tuesday. We've been praying for that. Our team has met. We're prepping for that. Um, today and getting uh, our area in there ready, looking nice and all of that sort of stuff. Last year, it was so uh, amazing to be a part of that. We saw across last year, we saw 10 people put their faith in Jesus. And so if you've been thinking about that, I want to encourage you to take those steps in the next couple of days. Be bold in that Jesus is with you. It's going to be awesome as we do that. Uh, The second thing too is that today for our people at home on the live stream, this is our last live stream that we'll be doing uh, like this. Our sermons will still be recorded on the podcast. If you do miss a week, you can catch up there, wherever you get your podcasts or on our website. Let me pray, though, now, and then we'll get into this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can gather together today. Father, we pray that however we've come here, that you would allow us to be focused for a moment. That whatever has been pulling us away from you, Jesus, that right now we'd hear what you're saying. And what it means for us. And we pray that you would move among us, Lord. Help us to see how this meal with Jesus does transform us and change us. And we pray that we'd be different people because of meeting with the living God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Winter Olympics have taught me that motivated people do crazy things. I don't know if you've watched uh, over the last, what, 20 or so days. It finishes today today. But the Winter Olympics is basically an event with the stupidest events in the world, all gathered in the one place. And I think the craziest one of the lot is this one. It's the skeleton, single-person skeleton. Uh, You jump on a luge going face forward down basically a death path along a track that if you make the wrong turn, you will die. That's essentially it. And as I've been watching this, it's just struck me about this. Not just that these people do this once, But to get to this point, they have to do this over and over again, right? To practice, to be an elite person in this level, you've got to do this over and over and over again. You've got to go up the top and go down this death track and do it over and over again so that you can make it to the Winter Olympics. And as I watched this event unfold, I began to realize the power of motivation. Motivated people do crazy things. Now, the reason we're talking about this this morning is not so that you can get a head start on the next Olympics, although I'm pretty sure there's only like 10 people in the world that do this, so you might have a good crack at making an Olympics if you start now, but that's not why we're talking about this this morning. We're not going to think about motivation when it comes to sport, but when it comes to faith, because there's a reality that people think what we do here at church, and maybe you're one of these people, people think what we do here at church is just as crazy as going headfirst down a death track. Right? Some people think that the idea of giving up your time to serve in a team, like hours serving. Some people think that you know, the idea of giving a percentage of your money or telling people about Jesus or opening your home up to other people. People think that's just as crazy as any of the craziest things in the world. And so this morning, what we wanted to do is just think about that for a moment. What is it that motivates people to do crazy things for Jesus? What is it that motivates anyone to do anything for Jesus? What moves us, shapes us, drives us, and what should motivate us for Jesus? Well, this morning, this is where we're going as we open up this passage. And we get to our fourth meal with Jesus as we meet our main characters, Mary and Martha. Now, this morning, it's pretty simple. We're going to look at the meal, and then the meeting, and then how it applies to me. So let's begin with the meal as we see Jesus get into Mary's house. It begins in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples... Were on their way, He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, "Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me." So what moves people to do anything for Jesus? What's our motivation? Well, we're going to see this first, but let's look at the meal because it does, it's important that we get the context here, right? So the setting is Jesus and his disciples are going around from village to village, and then they get to this village where Mary and Martha are living, and Martha opens her home up for Jesus. That's important to note. It's Martha's home, and it's Martha who's opening her home up for Jesus. She's bearing the stress of this, right? Because if you've been there, uh, opening your home up for anyone is both loving and stressful at times. Right, We know that, and if you're the person that does that, you wear that burden. You wear that responsibility. You've know, you got to make sure the house is clean so that you know, people don't step on things. Uh, You've you got to make sure the food's good. You're bearing the cost of that. If you care about how conversation's going, you're wearing the burden of the, the conversations. You want to make sure everyone's having a good time and all of that sort of stuff. We know this, right? Hospitality, opening your home up, it's loving, but sometimes a little bit stressful. And Martha's the one who's doing this. She's the one who's opening her home up. It's her home. She sees Jesus and the disciples and says, come on in. Now, I wonder how she's feeling about, you know, Jesus and 12 disciples or however many are with him. I wonder what she's feeling for this moment of food. I think she's kind of excited because she's got some help. Don't worry, Mary's there. She can help out. It's not all on me. But as she's prepping the food and cutting the carrots or whatever it is, She looks over and Mary is sitting down at Jesus' feet. She's not helping. She's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to Jesus teach. Now, on the one hand, let's enjoy this because for Mary, this would have been amazing. You know, you think about listening to Jesus teach. There is no teacher like Jesus. You know, the best teachers that you've ever experienced, there's nothing like Jesus. He would have been so amazing. His wisdom and power and authority and then the way that he would teach in grace and gentleness so that you would understand the big concepts of the world and of God. There's nothing like Jesus teaching. Even today, you know, this was 2,000 years ago. Even today, people who don't believe in Jesus still recognize that his teaching still is amazing. And Mary gets to sit here and soak it up. It's so good for Mary. And not only that, but it's, it's pretty awesome that Jesus allows her to do this. Now, not because it's out of character for Jesus, but because in this day, it was very unusual for a woman to sit at the feet of a rabbi, you know, a teacher. You see, back in this world, it was a patriarchal society where women didn't do this kind of thing. It was a man's job to sit and listen to teachers. And so Mary sitting here is countercultural. She shouldn't do this. you know. And I wonder, in, in part, is Martha thinking, you, you can't do that. But Jesus shows here something unexpected. He shows, no, it doesn't matter how you're born, your ethnicity, your gender. It doesn't matter. You can sit at Jesus' feet and listen. Jesus welcomes her. So, so on the one hand for Mary, this is pretty amazing. She gets this experience of Jesus. But on the other hand for Martha, you, you feel a bit for her. Don't you, like, you, you know, maybe you've experienced this before, where you're in the kitchen and everyone else is having a drink and celebrating and, you know, laughing really loud. Have you ever experienced that? That's not a fun experience. Or, you know, everyone leaves and you're stuck cleaning. It's, it's you by yourself doing the duties that you have to do while everyone else is having the best time ever. I feel for Martha in this moment. I think if we've experienced that, we feel for Martha as well. And you kind of see this, Martha goes through this journey and she feels the frustration. And I love the way the frustration boils over, right? So first of all, she's frustrated with Mary. How could Mary sit there and do nothing? But then the frustration moves from Mary to Jesus and she snaps at Jesus, right? Did you notice that? She snaps at Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care? And notice who's at the heart of her sentence here. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha is feeling hurt here, frustrated, angry. I'm all by myself doing the dishes and the duties that need to be done while everyone else is having a good time, while Mary's delighting in Jesus. Where's my help? Martha snaps at Jesus in this moment, and I can empathize with her. I feel like her experience is something we can all empathize with in some ways. Her reaction here is completely normal. So what's Jesus going to say? How's Jesus going to respond to Martha kind of snapping a little bit at her? Well, what we're about to see is unexpected. It's not the expectation you have, because if it's me, my reaction to Martha is actually, you're right. Mary, get up, go and help Martha. That's what I'm expecting. But what we get is not that. And it's here that we begin to see the meaning. So have a look at verse 41. Jesus replies and says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus here is explaining the meaning, and it is unexpected because she's saying, Mary is right. Not Martha. You know, I feel like we expect Martha to be right and not Mary, but Jesus flips it. So how is this possible? How could Mary be right and not Martha? Well, what, what Jesus does here is he connects some dots for us. Okay, so let's begin with Martha and where she went wrong. Now, we kind of see this a little bit earlier in verse 40 where it says that uh, she was distracted by all of the preparations. She gets distracted. And then Jesus points out that those distractions had led her to the point that she's now worried and upset by them. Okay, now I, I love this idea because the idea of being distracted is literally the idea of being pulled away from something. And we all know what that's like. You know, we've all been distracted at times. But, but if you think about it, distractions pull us away from where we want to be. Okay, so Martha might have started with good intentions. I mean, she opened her home up to Jesus in the first place. So she starts with good intentions, but then she's pulled away from where she wants to be to where she doesn't want to be. And we've all been there. You know, we know what distractions are like. You know, if you've ever been in a conversation where your phone goes off and you're talking and then you lose your train of thought, in that moment, you are distracted. You've been pulled away from where you want to be to somewhere you don't really want to be. This is ramped up if you've got an Apple Watch, And I'm not critiquing you if we've been in conversations where your watch has gone off, but you know what I'm talking about. People with watches that buzz at them get more distracted than the rest of us because it pulls them away from what they're saying. And you get into real trouble when you don't listen to what the other person says and they ask you, may or may not have been there. But you can tell I don't have a watch for this reason. But we know, right? We know what it's like to be distracted, to be pulled away from where we want to be. Martha gets pulled away. She gets pulled away from where she wants to be. She opened her home up for Jesus, but now she's distracted, and her heart's gone after these things. She worries about it, and she's upset about it. But but let's think about this. What is it that distracted Martha? Was it good things or bad things? You know, so often in life, people say, you know, the things that are going to pull you away from Jesus are the bad things, the world and the devil and sin and all that sort of stuff. But for Martha, what is it? It's not bad things. It's good things. It's literally serving Jesus. And yet, in this moment, serving Jesus, doing the good things for Jesus, has pulled her away from delighting in Jesus. Jesus is showing us here it's possible to do things for Jesus, but for those things to pull you away from the very reason you began in the first place, from Jesus himself. So this is where Martha went wrong. But this is where Mary went right. Mary got it right because she wasn't distracted by her tasks or the duties of the house. Instead, she sits at Jesus' feet and listens to him. Mary sits and delights in Jesus' teaching. She enjoys what he's saying. And more than that, she soaks it up to her very heart. Now, we see this in a pretty interesting way. You see, the language there is a little bit odd. It says, she's chosen what is better. Okay, but um, in some versions of the Bible, it says she chose the better portion. And in the original language, it's kind of this idea of the better portion. Okay, now this sounds even more weird than just what is better, but throughout the Bible, this language of choosing the better portion is often attached to food. So here, essentially, Mary chose to feed or have a meal on Jesus' words. Now, that would be a little bit strange if we didn't have the rest of the picture of the Bible that told us to feed on God's words, right? And we see this at the very beginning of the Bible, well, five books in. In Deuteronomy, there's this moment. Now, we went through this last year. But in Deuteronomy, Moses is preaching a sermon to God's people about what the future looks like, and he explains the past. And he explains why God fed them bread from heaven. Why in the wilderness, you know, they got hungry and he didn't just give them food on their plates, but instead he gave them bread from heaven. I want to point this out because it's quite interesting. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. Moses says this about why God did what he did. It says he humbled you. That's God humbled you. Causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, that's bread, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Moses is showing them you don't live because you eat food. You live because God says you live. Life comes from feeding on the words of God. Now, you you fast forward to Mary, and this is what she's doing. She's feeding on the words of God. She's soaking it up. She's sitting there. She's enjoying it. She's listening. She's delighting in Jesus, and she's letting it go deep within her. And, And Jesus says this is right. Mary's got it right here. She's chosen what is right because she sits here feeding on the words of Jesus, not distracted by her duties for Jesus, but instead delights in Jesus. Okay, so Jesus shows us that the most important thing is Jesus himself, to delight in Jesus, especially when duties for Jesus distract us from him. So you've got the meal and then the meeting. But let's think about how this applies to me. What does this mean for us? Because it is quite complex, I think. You know, this story just ends. Wouldn't you love to see what happens after this moment? I want to see the story unfold. I want to see what Mary does. I want to see what Martha does. I want to see, does Martha put the food preparation down and come in and sit at Jesus' feet? Does Mary get up and help? Like, how how does this unfold? But we don't see that. We don't get any of that. Instead, we just get this snapshot and it finishes. And the the purpose of this is to try and ask us, okay, what are you going to do with this? What are we going to do? How does this apply to us? And and it's complex. And so what we want to do first and foremost is say what this passage is not saying. Okay, this passage is not saying that Martha is bad and Mary is good. You know, so often we critique people on their mistakes that they make, but Martha is a disciple of Jesus. She loves Jesus. In fact, she's one of only two of the followers of Jesus before his death and resurrection that declares Jesus to be the Christ. The other one's Peter. Martha's not bad. She just got distracted. She got pulled away from what she wanted to do. So it's not saying Mary is good, Martha is bad. It's also not saying laziness is good and busyness is bad. It's not what it's saying. In fact, when you think about what Mary did here, she wasn't being lazy. Right? She wasn't being lazy because she did something. She didn't do nothing. She didn't hide in her room. Instead, she sat at the feet of Jesus. And Anyone knows that to give someone your full, undivided attention is not laziness. Sometimes that takes more effort. And when we think about this today for us, the way that we sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him is by opening up the Bible and by praying. And all of us know that laziness doesn't lead you to that point. You know, it takes discipline. It takes effort. It takes takes consistency to get there. So it's not saying laziness is good. It's also not saying busyness is bad. Again, okay, in fact, when you read through the New Testament, you, you meet this guy called Paul, who's a disciple of Jesus, who he shows us what the life looks like following Jesus. And at one point, he worked two jobs so that he could help people see Jesus. At one point, he even says to Timothy, who is a pastor, he says, I'm going to tell you something. Think about this. The hardworking farmer is the first to get the crop. Farmers aren't lazy they work hard so so we can't separate this and go okay laziness is good and busyness is bad so how do we understand this how do we process this well i think at the heart of this passage it's inviting us to delight in jesus and more than that it's inviting us to see the relationship between delighting in jesus and duty for jesus So this is what we're going to think about. We're going to think about three ways that this relationship plays out. The first two have problems. Okay, so the first way that this plays out is where we have duty without delight. So we're doing things for Jesus. You know, maybe we serve Jesus. Maybe we're in teams, you know, one team or two, multiple teams. Maybe, you know, we're busy here at church and busy outside of church. You know, we're doing lots of things for Jesus, but we don't have a delight in Jesus. There's no connection. There's no intimacy. We wouldn't describe our relationship with Jesus as close. Our Bible reading habits, our prayer habits have disappeared. And so we, we do things for Jesus, but we don't have delight. The problem with this is duty without delight leads to despair. Eventually, duty without delight will lead to despair. You see this in Martha, right? She may have began with good intentions. So often we begin with good intentions, but after time for Mary, she got pulled away from where she wanted to be, and she got distracted, and what happened was there was duty without delight, and she was more concerned with people and problems, and it led to despair, and she snapped at Jesus. Now, you might not have snapped at Jesus, but you might have snapped at some people. In this environment, when we have duty without delight, it, it leads to despair. Now, it might have been your fault, but it might not have been your fault. It might have been other pressures around you. It might have been problems kept rising up and stresses kept coming in. But what's happened in that process is we've got things to do for Jesus, but we're so concerned with people and problems that we've missed Jesus himself. Duty without delight leads to despair. Now, for some of us this morning, this might ring true for us. Maybe this is where we feel like we're at at the moment. So, what do we do if this is us? Well, I think there's two small steps that we can take. If this is us, the first step we can take is maybe we've got to recommit to some habits of Bible reading and prayer and intimacy with Jesus, spending time with Him. But you know what? Maybe in this season, if we've got duty without delight, what it's going to mean for us is to actually stop doing some things. Maybe we need a season where we step out of what we've been doing for Jesus so that we can delight. You see, we're not stepping out of doing things for Jesus so we can do nothing, and we're not doing it forever. It's a season where we step out of doing things for Jesus so we can sit at His feet, so that we can grow in our intimacy with Him, so that we can... Get closer in our connection with Jesus. Maybe that's what it means for us this morning. If you're feeling this, if you keep going on without delight, it's going to lead to despair. So the first way we can understand this is in this way. This is a problem: duty without delight. The second is when we have delight without duty. This is also problematic, right? So this is where we say, um, "I," you know. I love reading my Bible, I love praying, I love the connection with Jesus. I'm really close to Jesus, you know, and my faith is strong. But we don't have duty, so there's nothing we're doing for Jesus. Now, the extreme of this is monks, right? Escape to the hills and just spend time with Jesus. The day-to-day version of this is just where we delight in Jesus, but we're not actually doing anything for Jesus. We're not serving Him, we're not doing anything there. The problem with delight without duty is it leads to disobedience. That's the problem with this version of things, because if we truly delight in Jesus, we will see that Jesus calls us to action. In fact, the context of chapter 10 is really interesting here. Right, so just before this moment in chapter 10, we get two pretty powerful stories. One is when Jesus sends out the 72 disciples. And he sends out 72 disciples, and the implication of that is it's not just Jesus who shares the kingdom of God, but his followers of Jesus are meant to tell people about Jesus as well. Right? So you get that story, and then you get the story of the Good Samaritan, which, if you're familiar with that, is basically a story where Jesus says, you're meant to love your neighbor, which isn't just loving the people you like. It's loving your enemies. So just before this passage, Jesus is saying, tell everyone about Jesus and love everyone. If we truly delight in Jesus it will lead to duty for Jesus because Jesus calls us to that. And if we have delight without dis, without duty it is disobedient. Now this morning if this rings true for you what what do we do for that what do we do with that if this morning we, this is us. Well well you might think that the temptation is for me to, to give you a list of all the teams and the service areas that we have here. But that's not what we're going to do this morning. Instead, the invitation, if this is you here this morning, the invitation I want to give you is to go deeper into your delight. Question whether you really do delight in Jesus and go deeper into your connection with him. See what he says. See what he calls you to. Spend more time with him because if we truly delight in Jesus, it will lead to duty. So the first way we understand this, duty without delight, leads to despair. The second way, delight without duty, it leads to disobedience. But there's one more way that we can think about this. And this is the way that Jesus is inviting us to. It's where delight fuels and refuels duty. It's not one or the other. It's where delight fuels what we do for Jesus and it refuels what we do for Jesus. And you can see it's a cycle that continues around and around and around. This is the picture that Jesus is giving us where we delight in him. Well, we delight in who he is and what he's done. We spend time with him in prayer, and then it fuels our action for Jesus. Now, when delight fuels and refuels duty, what happens is we begin to see how anyone could do anything big for Jesus. You see, if you think right throughout history, the people who have done big things for Jesus guaranteed they delighted in Jesus. There's no questions about that. Every single person throughout history that you could read about who did big things for Jesus did so from a place of delighting in him. Because when you delight in Jesus, the duties for Jesus become easier, and so often you go above and beyond. So it's kind of like this. If you think about it, you know, at the moment, you might live in a house with other people. And if you don't live in a house with other people, think of a time when you did. Okay, because in the houses where we live, particularly if there's other people, we have jobs around our house. What it means for us to be a part of that house, but I don't know if you've noticed this, but if your relationships are going well, those jobs become easier. Have you ever experienced that? You know, in our house, this is so true. So if Elizabeth and I are going well, you know, if we're if our friendship's going well, if we're on the same page, if we're, you know, joking, laughing, all that sort of stuff together then the jobs that I have to do are easier. You know, so when she puts Poppy to bed and I've got to take the bin out and clean the kitchen and, you know, and sometimes vacuum and, and all of that sort of stuff, those jobs are so much easier. And not only are they easier, but I go be, uh, often above and beyond. Because my thoughts are when, when she comes out, I want her to experience the joy of a clean kitchen and house and whatever else. But when the relationship's not good, right so when we're not on the same page you know when, when one of us feels abandoned or whatever we've, we're upset with each other we're we're fighting and dealing with some stuff those jobs become such a burden it's the hardest thing to do and like you know if you've been there you're taking shortcuts you know I'll stack the dishwasher but I'm not wiping the table and then you know what you do you angry clean either you are an angry, angry cleaner or you know an angry cleaner You know, it's when you take the the cutlery out and you slam the drawer and you put the cup away and you slam the cupboard and you get the vacuum and you're like running into chairs and walls and you're telling your house, I'm doing it but I'm not happy about it. You know the experience now. It's not the job that caused you to do that. It's the relationship. When the relationship's going well, the jobs are easy and you go above and beyond. When the relationship falls apart, those jobs are a burden. Now this is the picture that we have with Jesus. If we delight in him and it fuels and refuels duty, it is here that we begin to see how it's possible for anyone to do anything amazing for Jesus. It's here that is our motivation that drives us to do big things for Jesus. You know, So if you think about it, You know, people think the idea of serving in a team, hours of your week, is crazy. But when we delight in Jesus, the servant king, who gave up his life, who said greatness is found by giving up your life and going lower, when we delight in Jesus, it's there that those hours become easier. And we find ourselves going above and beyond. And listen, the more that we delight in Jesus, the easier it gets. When you think about giving, people think it's crazy to give a percentage of your income. You know, 10%, 20%, more than that. People think it's crazy to do that. But when you delight in Jesus, the one who didn't hold anything back but gave all of himself, all of a sudden it becomes easier to give. And the more that we delight in Jesus, the more that we sit with him and enjoy him, the easier it is to give. You think about telling people about Jesus. You know, the idea that we would invest in relationships outside of the people that we like and that we would invest in strangers and care for people around our neighborhood, that seems crazy to so many people. But when you delight in Jesus who invested in us, who came into this world on mission to us, who gave his life up to save us, it makes mission easier. And the more that you delight in Jesus, the more that we go deeper in this connection, the easier it becomes. This is true for anything. Whether it's showing hospitality, whether it's serving, whether it's speaking, whether it's gathering with people, whatever it is, when you think about doing things for Jesus, the deeper you delight in Jesus, the greater your connection, the easier it is and the more you're going to give. You see, duty without delight, it leads to despair. Delight without duty leads to disobedience. But when delight can fuel and refuel duty, It's here that we find people do big and unbelievable things for Jesus. You see, when we think about us as a church, you know, we've talked for years about, you know, we want to reach 1% of our community. We want to see people come to know and love Jesus. We We want to double and triple and quadruple. We want to see thousands of people gather to know Jesus. This is big. But if as a church... We are fueled by delight in Jesus. This won't be a burden. It will be a a joy and a privilege to be a part of what God is doing here. So let's delight in Jesus over and over and over again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you would give us the grace now to delight in you. Father, we pray that wherever we're at in this, that you would give us the grace to to realize what step we've got to take. And Lord, as a church, we pray that we would be motivated by our connection with you and that our delight in you would fuel us and refuel us over and over again to do big and wonderful things for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.